Hi, everyone. Mark here for another installment of English Link. Hi, Steve. Hi, Steve. Hi, Mark. Oh, yeah, you're here, too. I am. <laughs> I thought today was going to be a monologue. Well, that might. we can both do a monologue. <laughs> okay. Um, now, I know today... Uh, we Let's talk about uh, energy. Talk about energy, yeah. It's obviously a very topical subject between... Uh, oil and uh, oil supply and the demands for oil and then of course the whole uh, global warming climate change uh, green energy uh, side so mm-hmm. it's probably quite a well I, you know I have of course a vested talk in, about? yeah I have a vested interest because uh, I'm involved in a sawmill and uh, we have a lot of uh, forest industry waste we use a very small part of it just for our own dry kilns, where we dry our lumber. Mm-hmm. And we also heat the mill and the, uh, the sawmill itself. I mean, it's very cold up there in the winter. It's minus 30 degrees or whatever. But we use to, a... Yeah, we, uh, to, to be clear, you use uh, yeah, the chips and the... Not so much the chips. I mean, if you picture a log... Or, yeah. If, yeah, it's, it's uh, again, we... Uh, uh, the sawdust goes into it. And it's what's known as hog fuel. It, it includes bark. Mm-hmm. It includes broken branches or uh, sometimes the logs come in and there's bits and pieces of dirty wood and stuff that all goes into this general category of what we call hog fuel. Mm -hmm. And so this is biomass when they talk about different sources of energy, biomass. Mm -hmm. Now, we leave a lot in the bush Mm -hmm. because when they bring in the logs, they only bring in clean logs. So branches and and the very small tops known as the rat tails Mm -hmm. because a tree, you know, starts, you know, three feet in diameter at the trunk, at the butt, and it's tapered so that it ends up as a very small piece, Mm -hmm. which is the last shoot of the tree trying to go up to the sky kind of thing, right? And the branches grow sideways. You've seen a tree. I understand (laughs) how a tree works. You've seen a tree. (laughs) So anyway, so all of the branches and the tops and all of this stuff is is not used for anything. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, now, we do ship our hog fuel to the pulp mill. The stuff in the bush, though, that's just left there? Or it's you just burn left it, there. Or do you leave in some it cases, there? they might burn it yeah. because they burn and scarify, and this tends to improve the mm-hmm. uh, performance of the, uh, uh, you know, of the forest land when we right. plant. Right. Um, and I guess to some extent, these are nutrients that are required in the forest. We right. can't strip it clean. Mm-hmm. But if you look at places like Sweden, they pull a lot more out of the forest mm-hmm. and biomass there is a huge part like 25% of their energy hmm. comes from forest industry waste mm-hmm. so we could do more right with our forest industry waste and and what is required is that the cost of energy increase so that we can justify making the investment because it's not cheap mm-hmm. and we have looked into we went to Italy to see a very good bit of technology there where they use hot oil to drive the turbines, which means mm-hmm. we don't need a steam engineer. Mm-hmm. And for a small-scale power station, as we would be looking uh, at building, we want to reduce our costs. And a power engineer is an expensive person that has to be there 24 hours a day right. that we'd rather not have to have. Mm-hmm. So we've looked into all of this, but the cost of doing it is much higher than the value of the energy. Right. So, but... As in most things, the market forces tend to... Uh yeah, tend but to uh, provide incentives or disincentives to uh, provide uh, for green energy, I guess. And well, that's the true. Government steps in with it. Well, if they have with, these uh, incentives, green, you know, carbon credits uh, in Europe, a lot of places, a lot of the 
coal-fired stations are mixing in wood, whether in pellet form or some other form, Mm -hmm. so that if 15% of their energy source is biomass, then they've reduced their CO2 emissions by that amount because wood is CO2 neutral. Mm -hmm. Because these are all, this is all carbon dioxide that's above the surface of the earth. So the tree grows, absorbing CO2, and when it dies, it decomposes or it burns Mm -hmm. and it gives off CO2. But it's all CO2 neutral. So therefore, you're reducing the amount of CO2 that, in effect, you're pulling up out of the ground right. and, and basically belching out into the air, right? Mm-hmm. So th- if the government says you, either they legislate, you must have 30% you know, wood, which we'd, lo- we'd love that. You know? right. <laughs> if they said you must have 30% wood, then we could get rid of our wood and get paid for it. Right. Uh, because it costs us money to bring it in, mm-hmm. right? The wood waste, you mean? The wood waste, yeah. Yeah. So, but but so anyway, I'm interested in this, and and of course we see the price of oil, which crashed to whatever it was, forty some odd, and I think mm-hmm. it's up to seventy now. Right. But on the other hand, I was reading a book about China, and the growth of their economy, and and you know across the scale of that country, one point three billion people is growing at seven, eight, ten percent. Mm-hmm. The increase in the number of cars, their appetite for oil, and they're out now all over the world competing with the uh, big multinationals, the Shell and the BP mm-hmm. and the Total out of France, and now the Chinese are out there competing. So there's this tremendous competition for oil. They are finding new sources off the coast of Africa, or they're looking at the Antarctic. But by the same token, if countries like China and India increase, then there's going to be tremendously increased demand. And what's also happening is China, in order to get at the oil, and as a, a newcomer, they're going into places like Africa, and they have made a major contribution to improving the economic situation in Africa, building roads and infrastructure and railways and dams. Mm-hmm. So Af- And, of course, Africa now finds that they have a lot of oil. Mm-hmm. So they're starting to do better, so they have more cars. And so uh, this whole... I, I can't see that the price of oil is going to stay low. Well, I mean, I guess this... This argument has, or, or uh, hypothesis, and I guess you're you're angling towards the peak oil hypothesis, or that we're going to run out, or the price is going to go through the roof. And so we can get paid for our wood waste. Well, you understand, I, I guess my... that's your angle. But uh, I mean, people have been talking about this for a long time. I mean, right. since since I don't know the '70s at least, uh, we're going to a hit peak oil, which is the most oil we'll, we'll ever have before it starts, our reserves start to be uh, right. depleted forever. Right. Uh, and um, Or just the fact that we're running out, the price is going to be, uh, you know, $150 a barrel. Uh, but in fact, the more the demand increases, the more supply we seem to be finding. Like there's more oil today than ever before. Right. So that there is a certain amount of uh, scaremongering in that. I mean, people believe that, yes, we're running out, but in fact, that hasn't proven to be the case yet. And what's more, if in fact we did start to run out, which would then drive the price up, that then then your wood waste uh, right energy source starts to make sense or other high cost oil or for other high cost oil and right. or natural gas shale gas all these other things or this whatever undersea uh, right. methane or whatever it yeah. is that there's lots of different options out there yeah. however I, I still believe that that someone said it's it's 
there we all have a tendency to overestimate short-term change and underestimate long-term change. Mm-hmm. So that people would overestimate how quickly this peak oil is going to be achieved. Mm-hmm. But it's like the story, you know, if if you have a lily, if you have a pond, a lily pond. And the lilies double every day. Mm-hmm. They're covering the pond, right? These lilies. Right. On what day is the pond half full of lilies? Mm-hmm. If it takes 30 days to fill the pond with lilies, on which day is the pond half full of lilies? It's the 29th day. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you understand my point. Yes. So, gets back to this idea that we, we tend to get all excited. Oh, it's going to change, it's going to change. And it doesn't quite change as quickly. And then we basically let our guard down. But in the long run, there is no question and, and that, that uh, the demand is going to outstrip the supply. And, but there are fixes, you know, energy conservation, better utilization and stuff. But the big change in terms of the, the need for oil is that up until, I would say, the 80s, economic growth really only took place in Europe and North America and Japan. Mm-hmm. And I've had a long involvement with China. And when I was learning Chinese and read a lot about their history and stuff, and if you look at China since 1949, from 1949 to 1979, if you take those 30 years, mm-hmm. nothing happened in China right. in terms of economic growth. Mm-hmm. Nothing. In the last 20 years, there has been phenomenal economic growth. Right. And they are now taking that capability where they, as a low-wage, call it third-world country, found the secret to rapid economic development. They are very good at construction. They build things fast. They're good at production and stuff like that. And they're now fanning out and taking these lessons to other countries. And I don't know as much about India, but India is also developing. So if we see development now starting to happen outside of North America, Western Europe, Japan, across, you know, five-sixths of the population of the world, then I think we're going to start to see some very dramatic increases in demand for oil. That's my point. I rest my case. Um, Now, move on to another subject. I think I've squashed you pretty thoroughly on that subject. (laughs) I I, I think to suggest that demand for oil is going to increase doesn't take a uh, (laughs) PhD, but... uh, uh, I'm just I, I'm not sure what your point is. Okay, demand for oil is going to increase. Right. Are you worried that we're going to run out of oil? Are you worried that prices are going to be come too high? That uh, there will be riots because people can't afford to drive their cars anymore? I mean, what 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 are your what's your point? My basically? point is simply that the price of oil is going to go up very high so that we can get paid for our wood waste. I think that my well, truly you altruistic a, you made a, you and ecological... You statement earlier about uh, supply or demand outstripping supply, but I guess once the prices become... If that, of course, if, there, if the demand exceeds supply, prices will go up and people will find alternative energy sources. So I agree with you there. Uh, I, I mean, I don't think it's... Anything we need to worry about. I agree with you happen. there as well. We need uh, that actually to to encourage uh, development of, of alternatives. Well, I mean, I, I couldn't agree with you more, and and I think to some extent, one of the contributing factors to the economic crisis we're in right now is the hundred and fifty dollar oil. 
However, we will get used to $150 Mm -hmm. a barrel oil because we used to have $5 a barrel oil. Right. And if someone had suggested when we had $5 a barrel oil that that the economy of the world would continue to function at $50 a barrel, Mm -hmm. people wouldn't have believed them. They said that would be a catastrophe, like half the people would be out of work. So I agree with you. And if if we have $1,000 a barrel oil... People will find different ways of, of, you know, get by with less energy. So I firmly believe, I agree with you, that people will adapt. Either they'll find different sources mm-hmm. or they'll find ways of living that, that uh, manage to do with less, uh, with less energy. But what, what bothers me is the artificial types of uh, stimulus like uh, carbon trading. Well, and, this uh, is, depends carbon on... Carbon taxes and those kinds of things. I just... Uh, I, I don't uh, think there there's a way to apply them evenly, and and uh, they're they're artificial, and and so they provide artificial oh. stimulus and encourage in, uh, economic activity in areas that maybe where maybe there shouldn't be economic activity. Okay, but society is allowed to set certain have certain values, and if a majority of people, for example, I've mentioned this before in our forestry operation. We have to invest seven to fourteen dollars a cubic meter to renew the forest. We plant, we scarify, we do a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, there is no economic return on that because our trees take ninety to a hundred years to grow. First of all, I'm not going to be here. And second of all, if I took that seven dollars a cubic meter and put it in the bank, I'd be better off than trying to guess what those trees are going to be worth 90 years from now. Right. No economic case for it, except that the government says, thou shalt reforest. Right. Because we like to see trees. Right. And therefore, we look upon it not as an investment that's going to be coming to maturity in 100 years. We look at it as a cost. Right. And so if the government says, we think the majority of people decide, and yes, there are uh, scientists on one side and on the other side of the argument but if the government says we think that global warming is a you know human activity induced global warming is a problem b we are in a position to mitigate it and therefore we are going to force people to reduce their carbon emissions or encourage them to do so and one way is through these carbon credits i mean that's a societal decision and then they can apply they can say all right you are a coal fired or a gas fired uh, generating station you have to use x amount of biomass or renewables that's a law mm-hmm. yeah they just put that in there uh i i a law i prefer more than some kind of a trading system some kind of trading well, it depends what's more effective uh, i have no i have no idea I, I i don't understand this cap and trade i don't lots of stuff i don't understand yeah i mean i don't i thoroughly understand it either but they have some deal in the states now where they were going to auction off licenses for i can't even remember to to to, to pollution pollute major polluters and now they're giving them away free and it's all going to be based on uh who which state you're in i'm sure and uh pretty soon any kind of a system like that is 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 no this, longer going to be fair is this brought to us by the same people who came up with all the derivatives and fancy financial maybe, instruments that maybe <laughs> clever people i mean i think initially they were hoping to raise money from auctioning off these uh, pollution licenses or whatever they they are and and as with any other distortion of free trade it's going to be used for other purposes and the americans are already saying that they're going to discriminate against 
products that come from countries where they don't feel that those countries are doing as much as the U.S. in terms of reducing their their carbon emissions or whatever. So there's a whole protectionist thing that's going to come into the picture too. Well, there's that, and then of course this whole buy America. Well, that's thing a whole that's other issue. Yeah. Uh, here lately, where uh, they've said any money that's uh, targeted for infrastructure from their stimulus package has to source all their contracts through American businesses. But. But there was an article in the National Post, the Canadian newspaper, pointing mm-hmm. out that the Americans, there's several levels of public procurement, right? Mm-hmm. There's the federal, there's the state, and there's the municipal. Right. And I think the federal level is open. Mm-hmm. It's more the state and municipal level mm-hmm. where they have this by America. Right. And any country that has signed an agreement with the United States to open up the sort of secondary levels of public uh, you know, procurement, Right. to international uh, competition, mm-hmm. those countries are exempt from this provision. Because Canada, for all of our chest-thumping and criticizing the U.S., the provinces and the municipalities, especially the provinces, have refused. We have we have to have free trade agreements between the provinces because there are restrictions on trade between right. the provinces. Right. And we don't have free competition. In other words, provincial procurement in Canada favors a bi-Canadian. And because mm-hmm. we wouldn't sign those agreements, we are now behind the eight ball. Mm-hmm vis-a-vis the Americans. So that there's all... And we're not the only ones. I mean, all these different countries, everybody points the other country as a bad actor. Mm -hmm. uh, And yet, if you look around in the common... in the European market or Canada or any of these places, Mm -hmm. Japan, you name it, China, Korea, I can only imagine, Mm -hmm. is full of all kinds of these obstacles. Mm -hmm. So the Americans aren't the only ones. No, I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, I think we... uh, Solved a few problems. Solved a few problems there. Uh, Hopefully that... uh, (laughs) <laughs> made things a little less clear for everybody. We should have uh, arguments on these things, Mark. We end up agreeing too much. It's not so much fun for people. I know. Okay. Anyway, we'll talk to you again next time. Thank you. Bye. Bye.